podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. A Scottish football podcast that isn't obsessed with just two teams. Niche nonsense. Or surprisingly brilliant. You decide. The Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. The cult Scottish football podcast now adapted into a hit TV show. Search the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast on your chosen podcast player now. Okay, welcome to the Whistleblowers. Uh, another remote episode from us, but um, luckily some of us watched Football in the Flesh this weekend. I'm joined by one of them, uh, Alan Algar. Alan, great to have you back on. Yeah, great to be with you, Martin. Uh, where were you this weekend? Well, you were kind of working. I don't. I suppose it's probably an, an unofficial appearance. Are you allowed to say? Well, I have the privilege of uh, being able to attend the West Ham home games as part of our sponsorship. We we do get two seats in the press box, but we did actually have a business meeting there as well. And um, yeah, I think I'm playing incredibly well at the moment. And they have eight points from six games. When you looked at the fixture list, it, it, it's quite incredible the way they've started. Yeah, we'll come on to that in a minute once we've introduced uh, the second guest, Gareth Dobson. Great to have you back, Gareth. Hey, man. How you doing? Yeah, all good. All good. Um, gents, I'm going to be leaning on you heavily here because I was at um, I was at Scholing FC for uh, FA Cup fourth preliminary round. Uh, they were playing Torquay United. There was 400 fans there, and it was almost like it was back to normal. There was like a I could smell burgers. There was a there was a crappy PA system. I could barely see the pitch from my commentary booth. Um, it was perfect in my eyes. So um, yeah, I was kind of I was still doughy eyed from from that match, which was a, a rainy. 2-0 win to the National League side Torquay, but um, Shawling FC put up a good fight. Gareth, I'm um, oh, sorry, uh, Alan, did you ever come across Shawling FC on any kind of non-league things that you ever did? Do you know what? I didn't, I didn't come across Shawling at all. I, I obviously heard of them, but um, plenty of games down at Torquay, obviously. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was going to say yeah, that, that was why I was wondering if they ever cropped up. Shawling have won the FA Vars in the past. But anyway, it's a good game. So, uh, yeah, my um, Premier League uh, attention has been a little bit diverted, but Gareth, what, what games did you catch over the weekend? I, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to picking your brains on, on I think City West Ham or West Ham City to start with. Well, I, I think that was probably the one game where I, do, I wasn't tempted to fall asleep. Well, maybe I was a little bit. It was um, a sort of almost back to earth after these kind of crazy run of uh, Premier League weeks where all manner of things have happened. This seemed a little more sedate. Uh, I don't know whether we're, we're going to sort of settle into a pattern or whether they've, you know, managers really just want teams to just buckle down and defend. But yes, it was uh, yeah, a bit more sensible. But the, the West Ham City was, you know, super intriguing. You know, West Ham played really well again. I mean, they contained Manchester City without without too many problems, I thought. And, you know, obviously Antonio is one of the, the men of the moment and scored an absolute cracker. Yeah, no, absolutely. Alan, I'm going to bring you in here because you were actually there. And there is, there's something about, I, I think this West Ham team have probably done itself a disservice. They've done well since lockdown, but um, probably not lived up to their potential. And some of the players are certainly uh, doing that now. Yeah, they have. And you, you start to wonder in situations like that, you know, what What was the thing that just made it click? Um, you know, you had these ridiculous theories that it was obviously that, that Moyes was um, was at home and, and obviously those were blown out of the water because his half-time team talk in his first game back against Tottenham was obviously an inspiring one and an incredible one. 
you yep. you looked at you looked at West Ham's fixtures at the start of this season and you thought to yourself and, and, and this is what they always do really because you thought to yourself, right, they have to win that Newcastle game on, on weekend one of the season because then they play five of the top seven from last season in their next games. And if they don't get any points against Newcastle, you can imagine them going on a little bit of a spiral. And obviously, you know, the sale of Dean Garner and the fact that Noble was a bit critical of the club and the fans getting on the back of people. You just thought, right, win against Newcastle and then just see how you can go. They lose that game. You start to think, wow, they're going to be in big, big trouble. And as soon as you ever think about West Ham in extremes, they go and do the opposite. And that's something that I've known in the time that, you know, we've, we've sponsored the club and I've had, you know, uh, as bigger interest in them as the club I support in the division. And I often see them see them far more, especially now that uh, I can't get to Arsenal games. But, but it's a very strange thing with West Ham is that whenever you think they're rock bottom, they'll surprise you and do something out of the ordinary. And, and conversely, whenever you think they're right at the top of their game, they'll, they'll throw in a shocker. Now, that hasn't happened yet. And the, the, and amazingly, the fixtures obviously will start getting a little easier for West Ham. And, and it's what they do in those games that I'll be really interested by because David Moyes has worked out a really good system. He's worked out that, he, that, that Aaron Cresswell on the left of defence was sometimes struggling. So he's a, a really strong player in front of him, Masuaku. That works well. You've got Bowen in front of Kafal, the, the new signing on the right. They both back up well. And then in the middle, you've got Rice and Suchek, who, you know, they were giving the Manchester City midfield a torrid time. They were, they yep. were right at their backs every single time they got the ball played into them. They couldn't turn. They managed to get toes in. They managed to knock the ball up to Antonio. And I really do think they've been unlucky because if Antonio hadn't gone off injured, I think they might have held on and won. Yeah, well, this is it. That midfield is interesting, isn't it? Because Rice and Suchek, I've got this, there's an energy about them, but they are both big, domineering players. I remember when um, Yaya Torre used to be like that for City. Whenever he played in Champions League, he'd sometimes get picked off. But when he was in the Premier League, he was just imperious. And sometimes when you have that big physical presence that that's married to youthful energy and ability, I think West Ham, have, you're right, they've got a really unique mix there. Is that something that if is easily undone? With personnel being injured for West Ham, or I mean, and and I was going to ask you a follow-up to to your earlier point about kind of how it's reflected in the numbers because they must be impossible to predict. They are a bit, and um, I, I think you know what we what we've seen so far is that, that if anything, they they were unlucky in in the, the game that they lost at the Emirates, so they might they should effectively had more points on the board. You're right in saying that there doesn't seem to be that kind of death. I think you've got, you know, a player in, in Snodgrass on the bench who will obviously battle and get involved and Noble who will do the same. But they don't actually, especially Noble, have the kind of physical presence that Suchek and Rice have that allows West Ham to play exactly this way. And if you watch someone like Bowen, the amount of work he does in front of his right back is, is, is simply, you know, it, it's incredible. I wonder how much he can keep that up during the season. Yeah, no, that's that's a very good point. Um, it brings me on to another hard-working team. Uh, Gareth, did you catch any of the Leeds, Leeds match? I did. It was um, yeah, a bit of a bump back to earth for Aston Villa. I think, obviously, you know they've had a really nice uh, run of results and were sitting pretty at the top of the table. But um, it was it was it was pretty clinical from Patrick Bamford, and you know it's not not exactly uh, being being too uh, you know ridiculous to say that he was. 
viewed by all, all and sundry, includes Leeds fans as someone who they just yeah. didn't think was going to do anything of note in the uh, in the Premier League. He's he's had a few clubs, he's moved around, and you know I think he's he, he's seen as a bit of a soft touch or or someone who wasn't ever really going to sort of you know push up on the uh, initial promise. But I mean, what a hat trick! Just incredibly clinical and you know it's, it's the old cliche of a of a striker playing with confidence which you know maybe it's something you can speak to us about grits but um yeah he, he just looks like he's the happiest man in the world right now i think you're you're right in terms of confidence the bit being it almost feels like this season i know it's too early to say but it's going to be a a season of bit part sort of cameos and everyone's going to have to play their part in the teams i mean like we saw when ollie watkins did it for villa and then he's up against the Leeds team and you're thinking well Leeds will give him chances and and yet, you know, they managed like, to get a clean sheet against a very, you know, a very active Villa team. You'd almost say Villa have been their counterparts in these this early part of the season when you don't quite know what Villa's going to turn up, but you know there's always going to be goals. So, um, okay. yeah, sorry. I, <laughs> um, yeah, so in terms of that, I mean, like, I, I don't know if, if that is that reflected in top scorer numbers um, on your side, Alan, because I, because it must be incredibly difficult to predict players that are going to do well at the minute. It really is, and uh, I think everyone goes back to this, you know, the, the watershed moment for for people thinking bookmakers got odds wrong was obviously 2015-16 and Leicester winning the league, and something that was incredible about their first nine games. And, uh, and and two of the four games after that was that uh, both teams scored in those games and, and nearly every single game was over two and a half goals. It, so that, that there were so many goals in those games. But you're talking about bubbles being burst. Um, you know, obviously there was a lot of talk about Aston Villa and Everton that, that you know, they've made the best starts to this season. So was that going to be reflected in the title odds? Now, Leicester, when they won the league in 15-16, they only won three of their first seven games. Now, people don't really tend to remember that it was a bit of a slow burn. It was actually the autumn time, you know, October and November and December, early December, where they actually went on, uh, uh, you know, that, that unbeaten run. Um, by the time they'd lost on the 26th of September against uh, against Arsenal, they actually dropped to six in the league. So it was a bit more of a slow burn than than um, we, we saw or perceived with Aston Villa and Everton. And just losing one game tends to be that everyone just starts to write teams off these days. It even yeah. happened with Liverpool. So um, and, and and another stat, and I'm not sure why this has happened, and people will obviously point to the, to the current situation we're in in the world at the moment, but this is one of the earliest times that, uh, that every team has suffered at least one defeat. So by games, game week six, every single team has had at least one defeat. Now, usually you're looking at getting to week 10, game week 10, um, and obviously Arsenal going invincible, invincible uh, many, many years ago. But you're looking at about game 10 as an average in the last 20 seasons. But this time it's happened by game six. That's really interesting. I, uh, the Leicester, Leicester season, you're so uh, rose-coloured spectacles that you forget about those early games. Um, while we're on Everton there, I mean, that's, you know, that's the, I suppose, uh, undefeated opening, Gareth. Um, but how much is that down to Southampton? And perhaps Southampton have been a really formed team that just haven't, well, they've been clicking, but, you know, for him to get him back in this position after a quite, you know, an unlucky start or an unfortunate start, he's, he's uh, Hassan Tuttle's done really well, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think it's a 
team that you and I both like, and we're both fans of Hassan Hurtle. But uh, more equally as as worth noting, uh, yesterday was a year to the date of their nine nil shellacking by Leicester. Um, <laughs> so it's quite a nice time to sort of stop and look at the progress. And it has been a little stop start at times. I think Southampton, whenever they threaten to really go on a run, they never seem to quite do it. But you know they are slowly establishing themselves. I think as probably a, a top half team or. They, they certainly play like it. And I, I do think the Everton game was a little bit of a perfect storm in terms of, you know, Southampton clicked. Uh, uh, Shea Adams, who I think has, you know, really come along in the Premier yeah. League in the last year. It's kind of, you know, felt like a bit of a, a coming out party for him. It all seemed to sort of really work out. But also, you know, Everton, uh, James Rodriguez essentially didn't train all week. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it was a a very late call that he was actually involved and um, Ancelotti came out quite quickly and was quite clear about, you know, that was a a fundamental reason. And it does beg the question of, you know, how reliant are Everton or a good Everton team going to be on Rodriguez? Because, you know, with him being very, you know, looking quite diminished, it did look like the Everton team of, uh, you know, the end of last season. So, yeah, it's hard to work out, you know, whether it's all Southampton or Everton contributed to their own demise. There's a there's a fragility about the Everton team, not just like in physical stature, but that they've they've only just started to maybe learn how to win. I, I I thought it was telling that when Coleman was you know, Coleman's out injured and then Ben Godfrey goes in, mm. you know, it's a difficult first game. He's up against Redmond too. Hasn't really had a a good start to the season, but it's a is a nightmare for you know it's a very a quick blooding of the Premier League when you're up against a player that's, you know, probably made his England, did he make his England debut last year? I don't know, but he's a, he's a very good player and, you know, and it, it frees up space for players like Ward Prowse and, you know, Ings is just always knocking at the door at the minute. Um, Alan, did you catch any of that game? Or, uh, did Southampton impress you? And, and is there any interesting numbers within that as a team? Well, the interesting thing about Everton and touching on something that I think you, you were sort of alluding to there is, is that... Um, are Everton a team to be trusted when you class them as a big name towards the top of the table? And do they still have that fragility? And one one of the interesting stats about Everton is that when they're at home against teams outside of the big six, so when they're at home and they're favourites, they have one of the worst records in the Premier League over the last 10 years. Wow. So the question that everyone was asking about Everton is, can they do it at home against those poor teams? They're the kind of team over the last 10 years that punters have seen on their accumulated slips or as they're online and they're ticking through and thinking, yeah, you know, all the, all the favourites will win. And you see Everton odds on at home against a Bournemouth or, a, uh, you know, uh, a team towards the bottom of the table, a, a, a Burnley or something like that. And you think to yourself, oh, yeah, I, I can't quite trust them to get over the line today. They should win. But for some reason, they've, they've just not had that capacity to, to put, put in those kind of performances when they're expected to win. And I think I think what we saw from their performance against Southampton is that they almost got lulled into a sense of security the other way. And, and, and Southampton were the ones that had most of the chances in the game. And you can put it down to a bit of tiredness and you put it down to obviously, the, you know, the late the late call on, on James Rodriguez. But they've still got players like, and, you know, going back to Arsenal things here, Alex Awobi, you know, I don't think he, he is a player that will get a team into the top six. I, don't, I no. honestly don't think he's that kind of player. 
So if you're still reliant on on Alex Awobi, then you probably just aren't going to be good enough to, to to get into those kind of positions. And you know, look, they're still top. They've got a game in hand. You know, yep. their record is level with Liverpool. I'm not writing them off completely, but what I'm saying is that there are still little things where you would doubt them. Yeah, listen, you're entitled to ask them questions, uh, much like friend of the pod Miguel Delaney asked of Gary Lineker today, which was quite an interesting in, uh, interchange. I don't know if either of you saw that, so um, no. that, that, that's worth checking out. Um, listen, guys, we're going to uh, call it a wrap on the first half there, but when we come back, we'll briefly touch on Man U Chelsea, because I think that's all it deserves, and let's do Arsenal. See you after the break. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. All right, welcome back, guys. Um, as I said, as we left, Manu Chelsea, uh, rather uninspiring, Gareth. Yeah, it was, uh, honestly, it was dreadful. It was, um, you know, sort of two quite dogmatic lineup and playing style decisions by the two managers. You know, uh, Lampard obviously was quite pleased by keeping the clean sheet in midweek and just wanted to do it again, you know, do his best uh, Mourinho impression. And um, I I do find Solskjaer's sort of tactical and, and lineup choices quite baffling. I mean, admittedly, he picked the team that won 4-1 against um, Newcastle last week, but you know, essentially repeats that team. And it does seem to be very much a case of, well, you did it last time, so let's do it again. There was no kind of real you know, address of who he was playing. And you know, he does occasionally feel like he, he manages like you know, like it's your favourite championship manager team from uh, <laughs> from the, the late 90s. It's And it, it was just uninspiring and um, I do, you know, I, I was surprised Chelsea dropped Mason Mount. I don't know whether that's an indicator of, you know, where it's going to go in terms of, you know, these bigger names and more expensive players are going to are going to find their way into the Chelsea team. And I guess, you know, it, in some ways it, it sounds quite silly criticising uh, uh, Chelsea for dropping a homegrown talent and then saying, but I also can't believe that, you know, someone like Alex Tellers who, you know, is a very exciting uh, left-back prospect in the Premier League, is no yet nowhere to be seen while poor Luke Shaw continues to trundle on. Yeah, well, uh, Alan, did you catch that uh, that match? I did catch glimpses of it. I mean, there wasn't much to look up for when it was when it was on in the other room, but, um, you know, obviously the commentators didn't get too excited at any point during the game. Um, I, think, I think you summed it up, guys. I mean, the, the thing is, you know, both teams being criticised for their defensive displays towards the start of the season. You even had Solskjaer saying, you know, our season starts again after the win against win against Newcastle. Um, you know, Lampard was obviously delighted that they, they kept a clean sheet 
in the midweek game to the extent where I think he maybe sort of overplayed that because they were favourites to win that game. So a nil-nil wasn't that great. Um, and then to take that to Old Trafford, in any other season, getting a point at Old Trafford, Chelsea isn't an absolute disaster. But performance-wise, I think there'll be questions asked. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, 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 always, I also think that at this stage, you've got a lot of players that maybe, you know, they're back in the Champions League, these teams. So, you know, they, they, they can be forgiven for you know, having to focus on a couple of things, maybe they're a bit bent out of shape on that one. But, you know, uh, we will see as the season progresses. Alan, it'd be no point having you on the pod if we didn't have some Arsenal talking points. So um, I think we need to get onto that pretty quickly. Did, um, what did you make of the game? Um, uh, Listen, I know you're very honest when it comes to Arsenal regardless. Uh, And we, we rarely talk about VAR on this this uh, podcast just because it's a bit it's just endless isn't it it's it's a never ending thing but do you think Arsenal were hard done by? Yeah I think they really were Um, I think my summing up of the the, the Lacazette goal that wasn't the linesman does have to put his flag up because he can't see from the perspective of behind the goal so all he knows is that two Arsenal players are very close to the keeper and they are both in offside positions as that ball comes in off Lacazette's head now, this is exactly why VAR's there. Now, it isn't for clear and obvious, um, this clear and obvious rule, it isn't there to say offside, not offside, because obviously that is a completely objective thing. You're either offside or not. But it can intervene to say that a goalkeeper has been impeded or not. So one little look at that from behind the goal, they'd have been able to say to the linesman, yeah, look, right, cool. Look, two of them were in an offside position, but they haven't touched the ball. They have not impeded the goalkeeper. So therefore, a goal should be given, a goal should stand. And, I, and Keith Hackett, I mean, I was saying that earlier this morning. I was quite pleased to then read, you know, former referee and, uh, and, and refereeing legend Keith Hackett to saying that on his Twitter account earlier because he summed it up the way I summed it up. So, um I think we've been really unfortunate there because the reason being is that Leicester came with a specific game plan, knowing that they couldn't use Vardy for for a large portion of the game. They knew that they had to just make it quite a scrappy game early on and then see what they could do later on when they got him onto the pitch against tired, you know, more tired legs in in the Arsenal defence. And obviously disallowing that goal allows them to stick to that plan I think if that goal gets given, maybe Arsenal kick on and win that two or three nil because, uh, or they have to bring on Vardy earlier. You know, little things like that. And uh, and uh, I think, in summing up, I do think Arsenal have been on the wrong end of a few decisions this season. And uh, I'm, I'm I'm glad you say I like to be honest because I really do like yeah. to be honest with those things. I'm I'm not one to moan um, about decisions, but I do think they've been a little bit hard done by. I think there was a penalty decision at City that went against us at a key time in that match that, that most people thought was a pen. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been very unfortunate in that respect. Yeah, no, I totally agree there, actually. And, and you're right, it's those little decisions, it's the cumulative effect of them on the morale of the team and just that, that momentum, you know, and not being able to quite get it going. And, and when we talk about honesty, yeah, I mean, in both sense of the words, I mean, we've had uh, a lot of teams don't like being spoken about honestly, but when it's one that you support, it's, it's even more challenging. So, uh, yeah, fair play, Gareth. Um, uh, in terms of... Uh, Vardy and his influence over Arsenal, regardless of whether you watch the game or not, um, he's he's still doing his still still doing the business, whether it's starting or off the bench. It's it's incredible. It, the, the most 
incredible thing I, I learned about Vardy uh, yesterday was that he actually has on his uh, shin pads uh, chat shit get banged <laughs> like actually on them which is which is just phenomenal you know to you know, I think most footballers wouldn't be particularly keen with being associated with that phrase and he's obviously uh, he's, embraced, you know, he, yeah. he's he's living the life yeah that's you know, he strikes me as well. He strikes me. Alan, we always seem to talk about it, though, because it was literally when I was my career was finishing up, and you were covering the conference, and he was coming through, and and we do talk about it. It's almost as if his his finishing is you know clinical, but he has really just kind of grown into the the Premier League, the perfect Premier League striker, particularly for Leicester and a team that counterattacks. He really has, and you know, I always hold it as a a real frustration considering, you know, how, how I followed his career, that the, the move to Arsenal broke down. And when you have to watch someone as cumbersome as Lacazette lead the line for us um, yesterday when, you know, sitting there on the bench is a, is a player in blue that should have been in red yep. if, we'd have, if we'd have pulled out a bit more cash. Um, it's really disappointing. And when that player comes on and scores a goal, especially with the kind of movement that had our defence sort of looking at looking all over the place then you really start to feel it and you know that 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 is a that is a real real frustration and um you know i mean you were talking about the you were talking about the the, the teams that, that had to contend with playing in europe in midweek well a couple of them obviously had to play each other you know united drew against chelsea um i mean liverpool they scraped by in their game didn't they and then yeah. and then you, you know you've got Leicester and Arsenal serving up a one nil game with very few chances. So maybe, you know, that, that has really affected the sides that, um, that, that, that did go, uh, um, that were in European action in, in midweek. Uh, and I think Arsenal have got, you know, a little, a few excuses there, there, but I mean, one, one of my main things at the moment, and, and, and again, it's, it's trying to be honest and it's trying to make honest judgments. is just that Arteta, seems to be immune from criticism and and he's not getting the kind of scrutiny that, that well, I, I think Unai Emery got when when he started as Arsenal manager. Um, the, the, the numbers seem to say that he's making us defensively solid without really attacking enough to 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 be anywhere near the top six. You know, with, with Emery, it was the opposite. And I think if both things come to fruition, there need to be, well, serious questions asked of him as well. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? When you br- when you bring the co- uh, the comparisons down to pure numbers, um, how similar um, or similarly unimpressive some some managers are in comparison to each other, where where one's lauded and and the other is kind of constantly lambasted. Um, a rare weekend, Gareth, where we haven't talked about Liverpool uh, scraping by, but but let's perhaps focus on you, your your native son of Crystal Palace these days. A great win for them against Fulham, who, to be honest, you've got to feel a little bit unlucky for because it was a better performance from them. Yeah, they they definitely picked up. I, I wonder whether this was a game that Scott Parker thought, you know, he maybe he could have uh, got something out of him and implored his team to, to to act accordingly. He seemed very frustrated afterwards, like as if you know, essentially the game had they had let it slip from 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 an, an opportunity. But I, I, you know, that does I think uh, maybe that's not fair for for Palace. You know, Hodgson is very good at beating the teams that he should beat. 
Um, I, you know, that's how he makes his bones as a manager. He he rarely goes and gets humiliated, or, or you know, they always seem to his team seem to cruise towards that forty points mark, which is probably what really annoyed uh, Liverpool when he was their manager. But you know, he is the perfect manager for Palace, and they look good. And you know, obviously, I think having Zahar essentially, I think recommit himself uh, to them for the season, and he seems fairly focused and fairly happy, is probably what is going to push, keep pushing them up the table. I mean, they're seventh now. Um, I mean, they, they, they've got a reasonable chance of staying around that position as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Listen, gents, um, it's a short and sweet one this week, but I'd um, just like to uh, finish on what you're up to at the minute, Alan. Is, um, is there anything uh, going on at the minute in the background that, that, that is, would be of interest to our listeners? Well, I'll still be attending the games at West Ham, the Premier League games. I think it is, you know, it's a privilege to be in the stadium when when these games are happening because there's, you know, sixty odd thousand uh, West Ham fans that would would like to be there. Um, and I would hope and think that this this pay per view pay per view thing is uh, is is consigned to the bin as well because. You know, playing for that Arsenal game last night, it's, you know, it always feels a bit a bit bad when your when your team suffers a defeat. I know lots of people raised money instead and uh, donated the money, but hopefully that that question won't be won't be there in the future, and, and people will be able to see the games for free. That's an excellent point. We didn't even touch on that, but yeah, no, absolutely uh, right point made there. I think we can all all concur. Gareth, uh, uh, final final word from you. Um, anything going on this week that that you're up to, maybe in the music world or otherwise? Uh, so otherwise, I, we're just making plans to go and see our first, you know, post pandemic game of the year. So I think in the next week or so, we're going to go see Beckenham Town play which is a, a good sort of, uh, I think they're eighth, eighth tier, and they'll be playing Ballum. So that's a proper oh, South nice. London derby. Wow. So very excited about that. You know, real football and, like you said, the, the smell of burger vans and, and, and dodgy beer. Yeah, uh, Alan, uh, Bromley boys' re- rivals beckoning them, I would imagine. They, they played them in pre-season, and, and I think the, the, the ladies' team plays there. I think they're quite friendly between the two of them. And uh, I know my dad's been down there a few times, so they can't be that big rivals. Uh, nice. Well, lovely leafy suburbs. Well, that's where we'll leave it, Chance. Listen, a pleasure to have you both on. I hope you're both back on very soon. Uh, uh, that was a whistleblower. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.